you grab your Bibles, turn with me over to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, or you can open up your Bible app. That's where we're going to be this morning. Welcome to all of you that are joining us online. Welcome to the rowdy bunch that is in-house with us this morning. Today is going to be a lot of fun. Last week, we covered two verses and went about 50 minutes, so we went extra long last week. This week, we have 17 verses, and so I hope you brought your sack lunch because it's going to be good today. So, uh, Paul's strategy, I want to give you a little context of where we're going to be going. So, Paul's strategy, Paul wrote 2 Timothy, and Paul's strategy for kind of the kingdom advancing up until this point has been going into strategic regions and planting church after church after church after church. And when we meet Paul kind of in this phase of his ministry, it's in the twilight uh, of his ministry, and he has found a spiritual son in young Timothy. And young Timothy is a boy by all accounts that has a whole lot of things that are stacked against him. And yet there is an anointing on young Timothy's life um, that God has on him. And so Paul has planted a church in Ephesus, um, and a major influential city at the time. And if this church fails, the case for Christ, the case for the gospel, is probably completely lost in Ephesus. And so Paul, is, Paul sees young Timothy and the anointing that he has on him. And he invites Timothy to be the pastor, to take over the leadership at the church of Ephesus. And so what you will see is the very first thing that Paul says to young Timothy is, do not be afraid. And so what do you know about Timothy? He's afraid. He's afraid, insecure, has a lot of things stacked against him. And Paul comes right out of the gate and says, Young Timothy, God did not give you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So get to work. Get to work like a good farmer, a good athlete, a good soldier would. And uh, young Timothy, if you are going to be useful for the kingdom, you have to understand that people are going to oppose you. That if you want, listen church, if you want everybody to like you, you better be in the cute puppy business. Because if you are going to follow the way in the life of Jesus Christ, people are going to oppose you. There is a current that will be pushing against you, young Timothy. So Timothy, as part of your discipleship, watch your mouth. Because you can't control your mouth if you've lost control of your heart. So watch your mouth, young Timothy. And last week we looked at, young Timothy, you got to run from things and you got to run towards Jesus. There is a course, there is a trajectory of where your life is headed, all of us. And if we're not careful, we'll get distracted by a lot of really good things, but not the one thing that is Jesus has invited us to run to. And that one thing that Jesus has invited us to run to is him, is to Jesus and Jesus alone. And this week, building on that context where Paul has planted church after church after church, shifts his focus to now building disciple after disciple after disciple. And he is passing on the leadership in this church at Ephesus to young Timothy and says, Timothy, please be aware, please note, if you follow my footsteps, if you follow after Jesus Christ, Everything is going to be stacked against you. There is a current of this world that is flowing away from the life that God has called you to. And so friends, uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3 starting in verse 1. 
And so open your Bible apps. We'll have it up on the screens for you as well. But let's jump in. Really light topics today, just so you know. So it'll be fun morning for us. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. When the, uh, but mark this, young Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. That word, that phrase, terrible times, is loaded with imagery, and we lose a little bit of it in the translation. But the idea of terrible times carries with it uh, a wild animal or a wild pack of dogs running through the street, just devouring everything that's around them. And Paul says, young Timothy, that's what it's going to be like in the end times, the last days. Now, I don't know about you, or maybe some of the conversations that you might have had recently, especially since COVID, there seems to be a lot of confusion about this understanding of the last days, the end times, or whatever. I've seen many, many posts on it, and I've had lots of conversations and lots of people kind of asking about it. And so I want to bring a little context forward about what Paul is specifically referring to when he refers to the last days or the end times. Um, So, um, you have to understand that this idea of last days is a specific time period that Paul is referring to. It's not just a, a general use. It's referring to a specific time period. And that time period is uh, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus reappears and he goes to the disciples and that are in the upper room and he breathes on them. And by the end of the day, they will um, have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That time period from that day until this day is known as the church age. That church age, all the way up until now, is known as the last days. And so when the Bible talks about we are in the last days, you have to understand that when did the last days start? At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was, uh, came down and indwelled the lives of the believers. So, followers of Jesus, those ja- gathering us online, are we living in the last days? Absolutely, yes. Because it is the day after God breathed this Holy Spirit in, and it's a time period right before the full return of Christ. So if that's a little confusing, imagine that the edge of this stage is at the point where Christ's return comes. And we are in this time period, we have been moving forward up until the point where Christ fully returns, and now we've taken a hard right. And so now we run parallel to the day of when Christ fully returns. And at any moment, Jesus says it will be like a thief in the night where Jesus comes and tips us over in the fullness of Christ's return. Go to the next slide. There is an understanding that you and I have to have. If this is scary for you and if it's scary for us to think about the last days or the end times, you don't have an understanding, a biblical understanding of what God's heart is. There is a very big difference between something ending versus something being brought to completion. We have, this is central for us, because if not, a lot of fear is going to creep in. Okay, ending versus completion. For example, um, when COVID hit uh, back in March, uh, at the beginning of spring break, what essentially happened to the school year, it was brought to an abrupt ending, at least in my house, because getting schoolwork done at home with the kids, really difficult. So how did I feel when something was brought to an end abruptly? 
I felt insecure. I felt inadequate. I didn't know how to teach my kids. I had all types of stress in me because that's what ending does. It ends without any sort of knowledge or understanding. It's just abrupt. But same circumstances. What would have happened if the school year would have come to completion as it was intended to in May? It is a very different feeling. When the kids, if the kids would have gone through school for May, there would have been a fifth grade parade. There would have been a celebration. We would have gotten the opportunity to have a slumber party the last night of school with all of her friends, and it would have been a joyful occasion. Why? Because it has been brought to completion. That is a very different under, biblical understanding. That is a difference between something just ending. And we have to be very thoughtful as faithful followers of Jesus Christ so that when we talk about the last days, that it is not ending. God is bringing something to completion. That is a very different understanding than walking in fear that the end of the world is happening, that the last days are here and there's panic everywhere. No, the bride is finally ready for her groom. That is beautiful. Do you, if you're married, do you remember what it was like? I remember when my bride finally walked down the aisle. Woo, hot dog, come on, hurry up, baby. It is this beautiful moment where my bride is finally ready and we're finally able to enjoy this relationship as we were intended and meant to enjoy it. And Christ calls you, Riverside, the bride of Christ. And as we approach this last days where we run parallel to the God bringing things to completion, the reason it has not happened yet is because the bride is not yet ready. That you and I are still called to live on mission and God has things and a purpose for you and for your life and things for him to accomplish through you and through this community. And so bride, get ready. It is not a scary thing to talk about, but a thing of deep beauty and honor. And so we have to reframe the conversation around living in the last days. Now Paul is going to kind of move forward with this, and he's going to talk about as the bride is getting ready, as we are moving closer and closer uh, to this edge right here, Paul is going to talk about what is going to be pushing against you. There is a current culture that will push against the bride of Christ. And so let's look at what Paul says starting in verse 2. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, the boastful and proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, amen, ungrateful, hallelujah, uh, un hallelujah unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power. And then Paul ends it with this funny little slogan by saying, have nothing to do with them. Now, if you grew up around church, you might say, well, that sounds a whole lot like our culture, like that we're living in today. And I think Paul would say, well, from the dawn of creation until this very day, from Genesis until now, every generation of people have been able to say, yeah, that sounds a whole lot like us. And why have they been able to say that? Because there is a culture that is moving away, not from godliness, 
but to a me-centered, me-focused, ungodly lifestyle. And that's what Paul is pointing at. He is saying that as the bride gets ready, there is going to be a culture that pushes against you because they are fundamentally running in different directions. Look at the list. Look at what he says. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, obedient, uh, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and just kind of looking at the spectrum of gratitude versus entitlement. All of us live on this spectrum, and the more that you focus on the gospel and the cross and what Jesus accomplished on your behalf, because you could not do it yourself, it produces a heart of gratitude. It produces an emptying type of life where you empty yourself out on behalf of other people. It is not a me-centered, me-focused life. It is a God-centered, other people-focused type of living. And that's what the cross does. But the more that you get away from the gospel and the more that you get away from your understanding of the work that happened on the cross, you start living in a me-centered, me-focused mentality where you start to live an entitled life where God owes you, society owes you, your wife owes you, your kids owe you, your husband owes you, everybody owes you. And you don't live with a sense of gratitude. And, when, and, and I think for the people of God, you can tell where somebody is really rooted into the understanding of the gospel or not. Do they live with a heart of gratitude? Because if you are focused on the cross and you are focused on the way of Jesus, the only thing that produces, I cannot believe that he loved me this much. I cannot believe that he did for me what I could not do for myself. So it's... Not as my bride said last week, I'm not created for me, but I'm created for him and for his purposes. And so I live out of an overflow of gratitude of what he has done in my life. Now, what I want you to see just from this list that Paul kind of goes through right here is not the individual sins or conditions, but the overarching um, flow of where humanity is going. And then there's this funny little line that Paul kind of uh, tosses in at the very end. He says, have nothing to do with such people, which I find very interesting. Because if you know anything about the life of Jesus Christ, who did Jesus love to spend time with? Varsity sinners. The, the varsity level of sinners. Adulterous, drunkards, liars, sinners, the outcast. How in the world can Paul say have nothing to do with those type of people when clearly the life and the focus of Jesus was going towards the lost sheep. How do you understand that? Well, here's what Paul would say. Paul would say, please catch this, particularly if students, if you are watching online, this is really important for you to understand, is that Jesus was always the influencer. He was never influenced. That when Jesus was spending time with people and a culture that was running towards itself, away from God, he was the one always having influence on it. They never dragged him in. He never got caught up in the party, got caught up in the moment and acted out of character and did something that he regretted. He was always the one influencing the culture. 
And so Paul would say, if you, Riverside, those joining us online, if you are gospel-centered, gospel-driven, running after lost people, and you're at parties and you're at places where there is a culture that is moving away from Christ, or you are spending time with your workers or coworkers or neighbors, and it doesn't look anything like the gospel, and you are having an influence on it, praise God, you should. Go lay your life down for them. But if you are getting sucked into it, if you are beginning to act out of character, if you are beginning to misrepresent the Father's heart, Paul would say, have nothing to do with them. It's not worth it. Jesus was always the influencer, never the one being influenced. And we are to be following in those footsteps. Let's keep going. Look at verse 6. They are the kinds of worm... Now, uh, women, please don't be offended. Paul is is an equal opportunity, kind of like, I'm going to take jabs at you, here you go. So hang in with me, just in another verse, we'll see what he has to say about the men. They're the kind of worm the way into homes and gain control over gullible women. And Paul's not picking on the women here, he's just stating things. Who are loaded down with sin and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. And so just as Janus and Jabris opposed Moses, and so uh, those two names are attributed when uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Moses, if you will remember, performs these miracles in front of Pharaoh as a demonstration of God's power. Where Janus and Jabris, I hope I'm saying that way, stand before Pharaoh and Moses and produce these counterfeits of what Moses is able to produce. So those are the two names there. And so just as Jambres and Janus oppose Moses, so also the teachers oppose the truth. Here's the shot at the men. They're, the men are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. They are rejected. But they will not get very far because as it is in the case of these men, their folly will be clear to everybody. Now here's what Paul is wanting you to see with the list. Please don't get concerned with the list. The list is not the point. The list is important of all of these signs of people moving away from a God-centered life, but they're not the point. Paul would say the overarching theme of the list then, the root of it, the undercurrent of it is the fundamentally all the same but expressed in many different ways. And the root of it is, is a heart that is turned away from the soul-satisfying life that Jesus Christ offers and thinks, my way, I know what's best for me. That's the point of the list. Don't get caught up in the list. The list is pointing to this current that says, I've got it. I want to be the boss of my life. So, so for us today, that doesn't matter. It, it, Paul might say, it doesn't matter if you're doing crack or you are binge eating at night. It's, it is the same. Whether you're addicted to pornography or you're just looking at a woman lustfully that's at the gym. If you are buying things you cannot afford or you're holding your money so tight that nobody's going to touch it. Whether you are getting on social media and you're envious about the life that, the perfect life that everybody has or you get on social media and you're like, man, I'm better than all of those fools out there. 
It doesn't matter. The symptom is all the same. Don't get caught up in the list. The, the, the root of it is a heart that is turned away from the soul-satisfying life that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone offers. Now, Paul would tell us this morning, please, Riverside, be careful. The world is not neutral. The world is not neutral. There is a current that this world is heading. It is not drifting towards godliness. It is drifting further and further away. And Paul writes to young Timothy and says, in a culture that is drifting further and further away from the goodness of God, you, young Timothy, I want you to plant yourself in the scriptures and in my character because you don't drift towards health. If this COVID season has taught us anything about our bodies, our bodies don't drift towards health. Our bodies drift towards unhealth. And Paul would say to young Timothy, it is true for following Christ. You just don't drift towards health. You decide to. You decide to follow Christ. You, don't, you will not naturally just drift towards him. You say, this is my line in the sand, and that from this point on, I'm running after him and him alone. That's what Paul is saying to us. And you understand this idea of current. If you have ever been, gosh dang, if you've been to the beach maybe yesterday or the day before when that, stir, that storm was, was coming in, you understand current. When you get in the beach at one point and you kind of wade out, 10 minutes later, where are you? You've drifted all the way down the coastline. Why? Because there is a current. And Paul says, same thing with following Christ Jesus. There is a current that this world is pushing against you. So root yourself in the character and their nature of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And now Paul is going to shift the conversation right here to talk about what upstream living actually looks like. Look at verse 10. You, however... You know all of my teachings. You know my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, my endurance, the persecutions, the suffering, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystria, and the persecution I ended, uh, excuse me, endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. This is, this is the life that Christ has called us to. This is the picture that Paul wants to paint for us. There is a, first of all, it's a Jeep and it's awesome. <laughs> Let's be honest about that. But there is this culture that is going to push against you. And you, Riverside, are called to move forward. And notice what happens to Paul. This is very, very distinction for us right here. The Lord did not rescue him out of it, but he rescued him through it. And that is a very different understanding. There's going to be a stream that is guaranteed, and the Lord will not rescue you out of it, but through it. That is a very different understanding. If you follow Jesus, you will face persecution and pressure in a culture that pushes against you. You cannot avoid it. You cannot avoid it. Paul, at one point in his life, 
they pick up these stones against him because he's speaking out and advancing the gospel. And they literally take these stones and start stoning Paul to death to the point where he's so bloody, he's laying there and he's passed out and he looks dead. And so they pick him up and they drag him to the outside of the city and they leave him because they think he's dead. Paul wakes up and says, oh, I was not done. And he goes back in and he finishes preaching the sermon. So in closing, let me tell you what I meant to say. That's what Paul says. And so often the followers of Christ were like, Lord, just get me out of it. Just, just I don't want to feel the pressure. I don't want to feel the pain. I don't want to experience that. And there is something that the gospel beckons you to, not to remove you from it, but to meet you through it. Look at verse 12. In fact, listen to what Paul says. In fact, everyone, not some, everyone, who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hold here. I want to be clear about this. The world is not our enemy. It's not. Sheep without a shepherd. Very clear. The world is not our enemy. We don't wage war against culture. We don't wage war on people. We don't wage world. It's, it's not our agenda. The scripture is very clear. It is sheep without a shepherd. There is spiritual forces in this world that oppose the gospel, and that's where our battle is, not in people or in culture. But there is this reality, friends, that if you anchor yourself in this right here, if you anchor your life in God's word and you get it just tucked up inside of you, you will face persecution. And this is not the type of persecution that's like, well, one time on social media, <laughs> I posted a Bible verse and people didn't like it. <laughs> but you will face real persecution. Now, Okay, we're going to talk about some things that might offend you. And uh, they, they, they offend me too, honestly. <laughs> it, but if you are getting your life rooted in God's word, and this is the, uh, the, the, where you find out the heart and the character and the nature of God and you reorientate your life around it, this is what Paul says you should expect that you will stand in the opposition against culture and influences of this world. And it is uncomfortable. And if I say something that offends you this morning or it does not come out right, please forgive me. I'm really sorry. And if you feel like you want to have conversations about it, you can email me at pastorlarry at mycbcb.com. Right? So... He did that to me a couple weeks ago. So I'm like, oh, here he goes, Larry. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that's found in the scripture. These are the very words of God. If you say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to the Father but through him, it's incredibly offensive. That speaks in direct opposition against every other world religion out there. And it is incredibly, incredibly offensive. You will be called closed-minded, uneducated, unenlightened if you say, well, I believe 
that Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, and it's only in him and through him that we actually find real life. That's, that is offensive. That is very offensive. Try standing up and saying that every child deserves a shot at life. That there is no such thing as accidental children. Tons of accidental parents, but no accidental children. And that from conception, there is a God-given breath of life that flows into every child. And that every child deserves a shot at life. Try speaking up for those that cannot speak up for themselves, and you will be persecuted. Don't you dare tell me what to do with me and my body. Don't you dare. You're trying to control me. And for those of you that say, I'm following the ways of Jesus, pro-life can't stop at birth. It just can't. Your pro-life stance has to be the generation of the child where you are fighting alongside for every opportunity, for every privilege that gets extended to them, that we are a community, community that radically rallies around the marginalized, the, unfor, the, the forgotten, and those that really didn't get a fair shake at life. It's not about just fighting for their birth, it's about fighting for their whole life. That's offensive to a lot of people. If you are willing to say that every eye that you lock eyes with, every face that you encounter matters to God, regardless of race, color, gender, gay, straight, trans, undocumented, wealthy, poor, this religion, that religion, bears the divine spark of the creator, that is offensive. That if you not only believe that, but that when you see them that you say there's a seat of honor for you that you don't just belong in this community but that you belong in my home and at my dinner table that's offensive if you are rooted in the script please don't get mad if you are rooted in the scriptures and you confront find yourself confronting the materialistic society of the American dream that says, you deserve to be happy. That is offensive. There is a cost that comes with saying, I am a follower of Christ, where it's, I'm not created for me and for my purposes, and ultimately one day to retire and live the good life and just drift off into the sunset. But if you say, my life for his purposes to the ends of the earth, whatever you want to do. That's counter the American dream. You will be persecuted if you pledge allegiance first to Jesus and not to the Republican Party or to the Democratic Party. If you demand from our political leaders decency and morality and you believe that the script in the scriptures there's not a red state and a blue state but that there is a kingdom of God and you and I are called forcibly to advance the kingdom of God that is offensive now 
let me be real clear. I'm like you. I find myself getting in this camp over here and just getting fired up and angry about certain things. And yet, time and time again, I have to remind myself that God doesn't have to pass things through me. (laughs) That I have to pass my life through the gospel and filter out anything else that does not belong. And when I get so concerned and wrapped up about this or that, look out, I'm going to get offended. Friends, I read this list and I'm offended at half of the stuff I said too. (laughs) It's true. Why? Because there's still part of me that still needs to be laid at the foot of the cross. There's still part of me that wants to live for myself. But if you are going to be a follower of Christ Jesus, there is a current that will push against you. And if you say, my allegiance is first and foremost to him, and everything else filters through that, that's offensive. It's really offensive. I know it's challenging. I know it's hard. I just think it's the way of Jesus. Paul shifts this argument right here and he says, young Timothy, if you are going to stand in this current, you have to have an anchor. You have to have an anchor for your soul. And so I want to show you where Paul takes the argument with young Timothy. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you have learned it from. So how? How, Paul? How do you know and become convinced of this so that I can stand rooted in God's word and his character and his nature and his identity. Well, look where Paul takes the argument and says, get rooted in the scriptures. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, listen, is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting, training and righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What Paul is pushing you towards is to root yourself in God's word. And I want us to be real clear what Paul is saying here. The Bible is not the point. The words of Jesus are not the point. The Bible and Jesus' words getting tucked up inside of you and reorientating your life so that you live a transformed life are the point. Just knowing the stories, just knowing the scriptures, just knowing it misses the bite, it misses the teeth of what this book actually is. This book actually is a transformational book that should transformation transform your life. It's not like any other book that the world has ever known. It says that it is God-breathed. That means it's true and trust, trustworthy from every generation. Yeah. And if you want to get to know the heart of God, you have to dig into this book right here. I don't know any, I don't know any mature believer that does not have a steady diet of God's word. It is not possible. It is not possible. Paul points Timothy that when everything is pushing on you, anchor here. Because it 
in it has the power for transformation. Memorize it. Get it tucked up in you. Let it transform you. Let it be the teeth in your life. Look at what David says about how he feels about the scriptures found in Psalms 119. Your statues are wonderful. Therefore, I obey them. Do you see any, man, I got to do this thing and the Lord tells me to do. He says, no, the words of God are a delight and they are wonderful. And so I walk it out with joyful obedience. The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant and long for your commandments. It's like It's like David is saying, one more chapter. Oh, just give me one more verse. It's just too good. It's, oh, just a little bit more. And I have to ask myself, do I feel that way about this book? It says that all scripture is God-breathed. That means Old Testament, promises made. New Testament, promises fulfilled. All of it is God breathed. And friends, there are not very many things that God breathed on. Uh, In Genesis, when God creates Adam, he brings Adam before him, and it says that he breathes the pneuma, or the breath of life, into Adam. And Adam comes alive. You know what, just just side note, if God is breathing into Adam, what's the first thing that Adam sees? face to face. How beautiful is that? Face to face, just breath of God. Fast forward to the Newer Testament when uh, after the resurrection, the disciples are hiding out in the upper room, scared and fearful, door locked, and Jesus just walks right through. And what does it say? He breathes on them. And by day's end, the Holy Spirit drops on them. And it's like Jesus is going back to the beginning where God breathed into Adam in the Newer Testament at Pentecost. Jesus is the better Adam. And this time where the world has gone awry with sin and death, Jesus comes conquering sin and death and breathes life, new life into the followers of Christ Jesus. He is a better Adam for a new world. It's a beautiful picture. You know what the only other thing that God breathed on? This is the only other thing that God breathed on. Paul writes, this is God breathed. That's why God's word is a live And it's active because it's God's breath breathing out every word, every sentence of this spirit of God just being breathed out onto us. And if you're not careful, as you read it, something beautiful happens and it starts to read you and it starts to tell you who you are. It starts to remind you uh, of, of the goodness of God and to live from a place of in the garden I was created to be in right relationship with him and I want to live from that place and everything else just gets to be chiseled right off pulled off of my life 
and everything other than Jesus has to go. And so Riverside, Paul writes to young Timothy and he says, listen, there is a culture and there is a world that is heading away. There is a culture and a world that seeks to live a me-centered, me-focused life. And if you and I are not careful, we'll get swept up in it. We'll get swept up right in the middle of it and I'll start tooting my horn and banging my fist and talking about this and that. And Paul writes to young Timothy, everything gets filtered through this. Everything. Everything. And let me be clear. If at any time you hear me say something that is off, this is why it's important to, to, to know this, so that it gets filtered out. Everything just gets filtered out through this. This is the lens of our lives. This is the, the, uh, the dunamis, as, as we went through in Roman, the dunamis, the dynamite power of God in our hands right here that has the power for transformation, not because it is an end to itself, but because it teaches us the character and nature of God so that when we tuck it up in it, in our lives, we, get, we can live the power of a transformed lives. So brothers and sisters, as, we, as I encourage you to do what, what, what Paul tells young Timothy to do, he says, watch my life. Watch my purposes, my persecutions and my sufferings because everyone who wants to live a godly life will face persecutions. So Timothy, root yourself in the things you've learned since you were a child. Get rooted in God's word. It is the breath of God. He breathed his life into it. And so Riverside, may we be people that follow in the footsteps of young Timothy that get this tucked up inside of us.